welcome to the Volva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. Welcome to the show today. We're going to cover the topic of pediatric vulvovaginal disease, which should be of interest to family doctors, pediatricians, gynecologists, nurse practitioners, and dermatologists. We have Dr. Yolanda Kirkham, an obstetrician gynecologist at Women's College and St. Joe's Health Center in Toronto. She's an assistant professor at the University of Toronto and did a clinical fellowship in pediatric and adolescent gynecology. Hi, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for inviting me. So you see some kids with vulvar issues. What do you think the most common issue is that you see? Well, in most young girls, uh, it's a general vulvovaginitis. There often isn't an infectious source, but parents usually bring in their kids because they have some irritation or scratching or itchiness, uh, sometimes burning when they urinate. But oftentimes this can be treated with uh, changes in hygiene. So what are the common reasons that happens? Well, when we talk about hygiene, we find out sometimes the girls are only getting a bath every two or three days, Um, and so that can be one of the issues. The vagina is a naturally moist area, so we do recommend washing once a day just with water, even if you don't have a full shower, but using a basin even like the one they had when they were a baby and having them sit in that uh, like a sitz bath on a daily basis. That's one of the most common things. Also, just because uh, sometimes some toilet paper or other irritants can irritate the skin there. The vagina in young girls is not estrogenized as it is in puberty. So the estrogen is not there and the tissues are very thin. I often equate it to the inside of your eye when you get soap there or if you touch it, it's very painful. So that's why all those tissues are also susceptible to irritation. We also see irritation from things like bubble baths or soaps. And in some cultures, people even put quite harsh detergents in the water for washing young girls. So we definitely try to uh, suss that out in the history and make sure that that uh, doesn't continue. So you know how in grown-ups, everyone thinks itch is a yeast infection? How common are yeast infections in kids? So children don't actually grow yeast. They don't generally have yeast infections unless they're in a diaper and have a diaper rash. Girls don't have estrogen yet, and so they don't have the natural flora and the pH to grow yeast. Uh, So we often see a lot of girls come in and they've already been tried on antifungal medications and they haven't worked. So it's very important actually to inspect and do a genital examination or to take a culture if there is abnormal discharge. Is it different taking a culture in kids than grown-ups? Yes. I try to use the very smallest swab. There's one called a Calgy swab. It's really almost like one or two millimeters. And when you try to get the swab from the vagina, it's like playing operation. You try not to touch any of the hymen or the opening. And when you examine a young girl, you can have them in a frog leg position or butterfly wing position without using the uh, leg supports on your examination bed. And you can already see, even in girls from birth, that there is a vaginal opening. So you just gently touch the inside of the vagina, even for half a second, and you will um, get enough of a culture there. 
And you'd agree that most of the time a kid would never need a speculum exam. That's correct. You never need to do a speculum in any woman or girl that has never had any sexual activity. If they have had use of tampons and they feel ready, for example, for an IUD insertion or for a speculum exam for whatever reason, that can be done as long as you feel that's something that they would feel comfortable with and that's something that they consent to. But otherwise, in pediatric gynae, you never need to use a speculum exam. If a girl needs to be inspected for a foreign body, for example, with bleeding discharge or symptoms that don't get any better, then we often do that under sedation or general anesthesia in the operating room. That's very helpful. Foreign bodies, you said, are usually bleeding and discharge? Bleeding, discharge, and discharge that's more foul, uh, or like I said, a persistent vulvovaginitis that is not helped with changes in hygiene or treatment of any antibiotics. What's the most common foreign body you see? Toilet paper is the most common one, in fact. Sometimes even in an office, it can be flushed out. We use a little uh, yellow tube called a Foley catheter just to squirt some water inside, and sometimes that will, that will help uh, flush that out. That's really useful. What are other causes of discharge in kids? The most common infectious causes of discharge in children are actually respiratory infections. So that means it's actually coming from kids' mouth and noses. And it's because they're getting a cold or from their friends, they haven't washed their hands, and then they go and wipe themselves. And so we see Haemophilus influenza, for example, as one of the common infections that can cause irritation, redness, itchiness, discharge in young girls. Usually, do you pick those up with swabs or not? Yes, with swabs. I do want to mention that it's normal to see more red-looking vagina in a child compared to a um, reproductive-aged woman. And not all red vaginas are abnormal. It's because, again, there isn't that estrogen, so everything is very thin. So just uh, redness doesn't necessarily mean there's an infection. You would have more of a smell, uh, discharge. Uh, Those would be more clues as to being an active infection. So you're talking about what we look for on exam. They always talk about prepubertal peaks of lichen sclerosis. When you're looking at a kid, what makes you think about that? That is a great topic, and I wish more people knew about lichen sclerosis because once you've seen a few, or even if you learn to look at them online, you'll be able to pick it up really easily. You can, in fact, pick it up even on history. So on history, you'll have somebody who's itching, and it's not all the time. It may come and go. They may talk about sometimes a little bit of blood spots as well, either from the scratching or just spontaneously. The other thing is people often will talk about, or if you ask, they will say that they've had little tears. I call them paper cuts. Um, They are also technically called fissures, but that's what happens to the skin. So lichen sclerosis is a pearly pink-white patch and or area and even in children as it is in reproductive age women and postmenopausal women as well it's sometimes a figure of eight distribution so most patients have it around the perineum which is the skin between the vagina and the anus it may be on the skin parts of the labia majora which are the outer lips it may cross the clitoral skin it may also go around the anus I've heard that kids sometimes present with 
perianal fissures um, from constipation with lichen sclerosis, or sometimes they have what looks like bruising, petechiae, and people think that they are child abuse cases. Absolutely. Really great points. It often can look like what we call petechiae or little bruises or little blood splots. And then you have the little tears and it can be, you know, pretty scary for a parent to see that. But if you have that history of the itch and you see all the pearly white and and it is amenable to treatment with steroids, then uh, you know that that's lichen sclerosis. What kind of steroids do you use? We use the same steroids we use for adults. So we use a potent uh, topical, which is means on the skin treatment. It's called clobetazole, and we use 0.05% twice a day for a couple of weeks, once a day for a week, and taper down to hydrocortisone. And usually by then, the skin goes back completely to normal, and then it may flare up again, and sometimes flares can be kept away with the hydrocortisone. But I do inform patients and their families that it is a chronic condition. It may get better with puberty, uh, with estrogenization, where the tissues become also a little bit stronger and more resistant to inflammation. But uh, we see it in all ages, especially because people don't often talk about itch in the vulvar area when they go see their doctor. One of the other things you sometimes see on an exam in kids is labial agglutination. How does that look different than like in sclerosis? So for labial agglutination, they're often referred for example, not having a vagina or that it's completely closed. And that's what it looks like is there's this very thin pink stickiness. And you will actually see a thin vertical or straight up and down line where parts of the inner labia and vagina may be closed over. It's commonly like when you wake up in the morning sometimes and your eyelids are stuck together, you can actually see a little bit of a line there. There's no other skin abnormalities and it's really down the center. So down from 12 to 6. It can be anywhere along, you know, just under the clitoris or over the urethra, over the vagina or a little bit lower down. So oftentimes this is quite easily treatable. We often treat, especially if Children are having urinary retention or urinary infections, but if they continue to be in diapers or have contact irritants, then it can continue to happen. How do you treat them? You can use something like Vaseline even on a Q-tip or a parent's finger, or if a girl is old enough to do it herself, you just put a little pea-sized amount on the finger and just uh, rub it gently down along that thin line, and over a few days or weeks, it will actually open up. I think they used to use topical estrogen. Is that not used anymore? Some people still do use that, and it's not that harmful. You you only really get estrogenization effects if you use a lot of it or for a long time, but you can just start with something as a bland ointment. One of the other things we get called to the emergency room about is often after a viral illness, a child or a teenager may present with genital ulcers. Can you tell us how you approach a patient like that? That's a great topic, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Oftentimes, actually, people don't volunteer. They had a cold. People don't think about that the mouth and the vagina are connected, but they are. They're very similar vaginal and mucosal tissues. Uh, So I think the most important thing is actually treating their pain because they're 
having such a hard time urinating and because the urine irritates the actual opening. So one of the first things to recommend is 2 to 5% xylocaine ointment, which is like a numbing jelly. Uh, to place on there, or even a Vaseline bland ointment barrier prior to urinating. So suggesting that they urinate in some water, that can help too. But when we think about genital ulcers, it's most commonly a canker sore. So they can be on the inside of the mouth as well, and inside the vagina, or just on the inner aspect of the labia. Do these sometimes get misdiagnosed as herpes? Yes, it can be. So the other things to consider are herpes, especially if someone has been recently or in the past sexually active. And so locally, you can do viral swabs, and that would be often the red top swab, the same one you might use for mycoplasma or urea plasma. And you would just lightly touch that open sore. I do recommend if they have a lot of pain, you can also put the xylocaine ointment on before you do that. The other things to test for then are actually by blood. So you can test for Epstein-Barr virus for IgM and also for um, cytomegalovirus CMV. Right. And then do you ever use steroids to treat them? So I don't usually, in gynecology, we don't usually. If we have suspect that it can actually be Bechet's, or Crohn's disease, then we will often take a biopsy and then refer either to dermatology or to uh, GI for treatment. Uh, But they do sometimes include treatment with steroids, sometimes even systemic. There is also a very rare condition called PFAPA, P-F-A-P-A, and where you get periodic fevers as well as aphthous ulcers. And that can be a recurrent condition and it comes with other symptoms as well. So I don't really see little kids, but I've seen older uh, teenagers and young adults, and Bechet's is really uncommon in North America. What I've learned from dermatology is that sometimes they actually use oral steroids to heal these patients faster, as long as they've ruled out herpes. And I guess it just depends how sick your patient is and how uncomfortable they are. Yes, and how persistent or recurrent some of these symptoms are. Right. So is there anything else you can think that is helpful for people to think about in relation to pediatric uh, gynecology and vulvar conditions? I guess also anal itching is is interesting, but also important to remember that sometimes some itching and irritation could be from pinworms, for example. And so that's something else to remember. But generally, we recommend good vulvar hygiene, just as we would for women and girls of all ages. So not wearing underwear at night trying to be out of diapers as much as possible, out of uh, swimwear or uh, sweaty underwear, and doing a daily clean. And do you think the North American Society for Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology would have more information about these things? Absolutely. It's a great website. If you go to the resources link, you can find a lot more information on naspeg.org, N-A-S-P-A-G.org. Great. Thank you so much for talking to us today. You're welcome. I'm so glad you asked for the information, and I hope uh, this helps lots of kids and their parents, too. Great. Take care. Thank you. Thank you all for listening today. Stay tuned for next time for more about the vulva.